A warning to our listeners. This series contains discussion of mental illness, suicide, and domestic abuse. My first inclination is, I think she was an assassin. She was very rough, but yet very kind. So she played a role real well. I think the part she played that was maybe a, a friendly person was... Total facade. Right, because I think to be able to live like that, if Steve is truly thinking she was an assassin, you have to be no emotions, none whatsoever, or you'll give yourself away. I think she must have been a very brilliant young lady to be able to do the computer stuff like she did, and I think she was an organizer. To come to a town where you know no one, supposedly, and to be able to do what it looks like she might have done, I just, I can't even imagine living your whole life like that. Not being able to tell somebody who you really are. I don't know. It's, it's, just, it's really just strange. It really is. That's why you're here. You've got to create the best story there is. I really don't believe she killed herself. She was there one day, and then all of a sudden she didn't show up. Have we uncovered a conspiracy indirectly? Too many unanswered questions. She was scared to death. She was alive after they said she was dead. If a stranger had to piece together who you were based on the things you left behind, who would they find? How would they tell the story of your life? Sue Knight was born and raised in England, but made a home for herself in small-town Athens, Texas. All that ended in April of 1996, when she was only 43. More than 25 years later, the people who knew and loved Sue still have unanswered questions about who she was and how she died, or even if she died. Ever since I first heard about Sue, I've been determined to find as many answers as I can. I've been piecing together the fragments of Sue's life, and I've pulled in my researcher, Haley Nelson, my consulting journalist, Bob Sullivan, and my executive producer, Caroline Hamilton, to help me sort through the details. You'll hear from them later in the series. And then there's me, Jenna Burnett. I write and produce true crime podcasts because I'm obsessed with a good mystery. I'll be your guide on this journey, but I won't be your narrator. In fact, you won't hear from me like this again because this story is a tangled web that needs to be experienced firsthand. So I'm giving you all the threads I've collected, all the perspectives I've heard, directly from the mouths of the people who lived and continue to live this story. And you'll be the one to decide. Who was Sue Knight? Hello, testing. Oh, you want me to talk? Yes. You got to give me the signal, Reyes. Come on now. Oh. <laughs> Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Ronco mini microphone. We'd like to present to you. You just cannot put a mic in front of him. I'm no. just telling you. I know it's bad. Okay. Does it sound okay to you? Yes, that's Y'all ready? We're ready. I'm ready. I'm born ready. I'm Jamie Barksdale. Lived and raised my whole life in Texas. We moved to Athens in 82, One. 81, and um, started our life here and loved my life, loved my family, and um, yeah, that's me. My name's Steve Barksdale. I'm married to Jamie. The only way I could graduate college was to marry the president's daughter. 
Um, he had a pretty good daughter too, didn't he? He had a real pretty daughter. He had a real pretty daughter. But she snooty. She was hoity-toity. Uh, I was first a, time I, I met was her. a city girl. I will she admit. was definitely a city girl, and I was a country boy. I'm an insurance specialist for commercial insurance. I'm a member at Rock Hill Baptist Church, and um, and that's kind of where where I am now. Just been here in Athens since June of 1981. Sue Knight rented a property from us at, at the Bush Development Company I work, ran. Were the Bushes that you worked for, were they related to the president? No. Okay. <laughs> I've never even thought about them being... Part of the Bush No, I, I, when you said that, I'm like, oh, that is interesting. Yeah, would have been nice. When she came to our office uh, back in those days, if somebody could put a deposit down and a first month's rent, they're in. We didn't have credit checks and we didn't do all that kind of stuff. And so that's how I first met her and her husband. Of course, the first thing you notice is her beautiful accent. You knew she was not from East Texas. I don't remember seeing her many, many, many times, but she was just nice and, you know, not a best friend, but very cordial and friendly. And the kids always wanted her to say something to talk because they loved her accent. She was blonde, always friendly to me, uh, always uh, would come in and pay her bills. That's really about the only time I would see her is when she'd come pay the bills. She was, uh, I don't know the best way to say this, uh, you you wouldn't want to mess with her. She just had that aura about her that I just never could, you know, you just wouldn't want to mess with her. She it was tough and things like that, but she was always nice to us. There was nothing that I remember meeting and seeing her that would have ever made me think anything other than she's just a nice girl that's here from England. But like I said, we were not on a friend basis it was just it's more of an acquaintance basis right it was and you would see her in town and hello how are you good yeah fine but no i i did not know her well enough that anything would have triggered any questions at all yeah okay here's some teas to go you can put them in the i don't have lids y'all just Put them in the Did truck. you get your tea to go? I got my tea okay. right over there. All right, we ready to hit the road? Yes, I, I think believe so. we are uh, really quick just to, I'm gonna clap three times to make, to give us a reference for all these mics to kind of know how they're gonna time up together. Boom. That'll help a little bit when we have to throw it in the... I'll tell awesome. you what, I I'll, felt important. I did, too. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know if you had the claps or... Just to make sure it's Is that when you tell us to be quiet? You have to do it really loud for him because he will just keep talking. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. You're welcome. I love you. I know you do. All right. This was not here. There was just a little street here. Uh, when Sue rented the house. So this has all been development from, since that time. But um, the Bush family had about 60 rent houses that I ran in town. We would rent them out and I'd, I'd have to oversee it and take oh, the money in. Oh, got calls all oh, the time. I was on call 24 seven for My eight years. toilet won't swallow. That yeah. was our best one. I wasn't really high in housing, I think, but we had a few people good a nice houses. place to live. Yeah. When, I mean, for them, yeah. I was the original flipper. Never paid more than $18,000 for a house and never sold one less than 45 and they took the note and they wow. made good money. But she rented on Mitchell Street and I had two houses on Mitchell Street that the family owned and 
dead ends. Oh. I always wonder, well, I wonder why she wanted that house. Huh. That's but where she lived? Yeah, that's thinking. where she lived. It looks like kind of need of repair. So that's the one she rented? That's one she rented with her husband. How long did she rent from you? I don't know. I mean, I, I got out at 88, 1988, and I think she had already left and bought that other house that, or went somewhere else. I don't know. And you said you encouraged her to buy a house instead of renting. Is that right? Yeah, she asked about it, and, and I you know, said, don't throw your, if you can afford the house and, you know, don't throw your money away. Try to buy if you can. And, but that's been a long time ago. I think it was back in 1996, I got a call from Milton Adams, who is our justice of the peace, and he's a friend of mine. And anyway, he called and said, Steve said, do you remember Sue Knight? And I said, uh, well, yeah, I remember Sue Knight. I have her insurance. Well, that's why I'm calling. and said, uh, we're trying to find next to Ken. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, we found her dead a week or so ago. And I said, oh, my goodness, what from? Well, she probably just got sick and threw up and choked herself. I thought, well, I hate that. And I said, well, let me go look at the file, see if I see anything. Because sometimes we write next to Ken. And I said, Milton, I don't think I have anything, but let me look in the file. And it was just like, I know this sounds really weird, but... It is just like God said, hey, don't you remember? And then all of a sudden, kind of like this flashback happened of me sitting with Sue in my office out at the cemetery. She had come in to pay rent, and then she came in and said, hey, I need to talk to you. I'm leaving the country for a couple months. What do I do with my stuff? And well, I just said, well, I'll let your husband, is he going with you? And he said, no, I'm no longer married. And I said, well, in Texas, you go down to the lawyer's office and tell him you need to make a will. And that was 10 years prior. So she was, what, 32 at the time. It was kind of weird telling her that, but that's what you had to do if you were leaving the country and you wanted to take care of it. She made the comment that, what happens if I get killed? I want to make sure my stuff's taken care of. And I think 2020, hindsight, I think she was just wanting to make sure her cat was taken care of. I really do. So I told her where to go in downtown and why I remembered that when Milton called, I don't know. That was in 86 and 96 that we're making the conversation about her death. But that's what happened. I told Milton the story, told him, you know, Milton, you might go down and check with Melvin Bateman or Mike George and see if she might have done something. I don't know. He said, well, I'll call you back. He calls me back. So, well, there's a, there is a will. I said, oh, that's great. He said, well, who's the trustee? Well, who gets the will, that thing? And he said, well, a cat. And I thought, oh, what? A cat named Mr. Foster. I said, this is crazy. And I said, well, who's the executor? He said, you are. The Bush family, they had several businesses, and one was an insurance agent, and that's what they brought me in to do. And they sold the agency, and then I ran this cemetery along with the water company, developing company. And this was my office here, called Oklahoma Memorial Park, but we had Bush Development in here. That is actually where the conversation about Needing the, the wheel, wheel. Yeah. got started, in, in that front room right there. I used to have 5,000 people directly under me and never had an employee uprising. They're much deadbeats, they really were. I ran the cemetery. <laughs>
telling you. Why did she come to you? Do you know? Well, I think first was I'm, I was an acquaintance of her because she rented a house. Uh, and then, like, one time she asked if, if you know anybody's hiring. I said, not for sure, but you ought to go down to the new car dealership. Evidently, she went down there and got a job. So I guess that's that's the only thing I can say is that I don't think there's anything magical about her asking me or taking the advice from me. It's just that I was a person that could help her. You know, she trusted my opinion, I think. And, you know, I do think that um, he... He just is who he is, and he is what he is. And um, some people that I have told, Steve was the executor, and they were like, well, you could look all over Athens, and people would pick Steve because he's trustworthy. And I'm like, well, okay, okay. But, you know, I I would hope that that's the reason and that um, she did trust him and what little she knew of me, she trusted us. But he is trustworthy, and when he says something, he's he's going to do what he says he will do. Did you know what your responsibilities were as an executor when you got that call? <laughs> At that time, I, I I knew I just had to follow the will, and I didn't know what the will was, so I was waiting for them to bring me the will, and they brought me the will from the lawyer's office, and, and I read it, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, what do I got to do now? Did you consider saying no at any point? Do you have that choice? I, I didn't. I don't. I don't think I ever considered saying no. I just said, "Well, if somebody thought enough of me to meet their, be there. I'll, I'll follow through because there's a dead person now, and I wouldn't want to go back on that because I, I really didn't know what I was getting into. That's very obvious. Well, I do remember us saying, "Doesn't someone have to ask you if you want to be the executor?" But obviously not, unless. You know, you don't have to sign anything. So just future reference. You know, when someone asks you, would you be the executor of my estate? Oh, sure, no big deal. But it, it is a huge responsibility. It, it is. And um, you never know what it may bring. Judy Newman out of the Malakoff office for Mike George is the one that brought me the paperwork. And I read it, and I'm sitting there going, well, what do I do? So she said, well, you got to go get the keys from the police department because they have they locked it down. I said, okay. So I went down to the police department, and that's when I ran into Chief Harris. And Chief Harris was probably 6'2 and weighed about 375, 380. And uh, he was the Barney Fife type guy, you know, just really you know, old town, you know, that type of thing, but good-hearted and everything. And I walked in the door, and Chief comes up. Marksdale, what in the world have you gotten involved in? Do you know anything about this lady? How did you become the executor? I said, Chief, I don't know. This this is, I'm an unknowing executor. I didn't, had no idea about this. And that's when he took me back to his office and he said, here are the two boxes that we collected and opened the box one and it was all sexual paraphernalia. And I'm sitting there going, well, I wouldn't know what to do with this stuff. You're going to keep this, Chief. And we laughed and everything. And that's all his stuff. And then the second box was what he was concerned about. It said, know anything about these guns? There were three guns. Two of them had rifle scopes. And there were no ammunition. He had confiscated all the ammunition. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, I didn't know that police did that. But they said they had to secure the house. And that's why they had the guns. That's when I first realized that I was the executor, unknowing executor of an estate of a lady I really don't know 
And uh, how am I going to tell Jamie? Do y'all want to do lunch? Yeah. Sure. Now, I'm just going to tell y'all, Steve may see lots of people that he knows. Lots of people. It's like he's running for it, but he's just that way. Oh, he may not see anybody. These may all be Dallas people that none of us know. I don't, I'm not nearly as outgoing as he is. And I have to remind him sometimes we are on a date. <laughs> and people will stop saying, you know what, just got a real quick question. And 30 minutes later, they're still asking him an insurance question. And I'm like, just don't talk to him. Just say, you know, I'm with my wife. But he's not going to do that. As y'all can see, he likes to talk. I love it. It's perfect. Well, it's good for audio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Be right back. I'm ready to say hello to somebody. Can I get you to wave at the bartender and tell them, they, tell them I'll take care of it? Hey, y'all doing it? Well, I've gotten better looking, haven't I? You don't be lying now. <laughs> How y'all doing? I don't think I've met all these gentlemen. I've seen some. I think pretty. I'm Steve Barksdale. Pleasure to meet you. and glad y'all got the eggs with you. Sorry to interrupt your conversation. How you doing, brother? I knew it. See you again. Take care. Hey, how y'all doing? Y'all looking dapper. Long time no see. Steve Barksdale. You're staying in trouble, but I'm good at that. You're looking dapper, and thanks for what you're doing. Y'all take care. You see. Well, the crowd was good. Are you situated? Yeah, I think so. Well, let me just tell you this. Jamie's not a very trusting person. So what is the first thing that I had to deal with? Are you having an affair with her? And I wasn't, so I wasn't worried about that, but I could never get her to believe me. But you did, you, you originally did think, were they closer than I thought? Yes, I did. Absolutely, I did. And with the experience we had had with some friends of ours, both of them having affairs, yeah, yeah, I think, um, I, I'm not trying to rationalize it and saying that any wife would, but I do think that was not an abnormal feeling that I had. I just kept saying, I just don't, I, I hear you, but I just don't understand why someone would do that. But there comes a point where it either eats you alive or you just have to say, why am I letting this destroy something I have? Besides the executorship, was there anything about Sue that would make you wonder that? Not at all. No, she was not an attractive person, I didn't think at all. I never thought that. And I never thought that there was anything she said to him or to me, or, no. I mean, Steve will tell you I am I am a, not a real trusting person. And I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of not trusting him. But it's just once it happened, I'm like, hmm, well, that was, that was a little odd. So, but yeah. Truth comes out, and I don't worry about it because I know I didn't do anything. So anyway, uh, of course, we had a lot of crying and yelling and screaming. And, you know, I did not have sex with a woman, you know, type thing. And. But it was, uh, you know, it was a burden on her. Hi, buddy. Where have you been? I have to talk to my donkey, sorry. Hey, buddy. Come here. <laughs> you got, I can't get any closer. Come on, buddy. Come on. Jamie's Hi. playing with a jackass. Come on. Sorry, oh, my goodness. 
What a cutie. Oh, come on, y'all. Do you mind if I take a picture? Not at all. A cutie. Hi. Oh, you are so cute. Isn't he sweet? His ears are like satin. I don't know. Come here, buddy. See y'all later. Come here, buddy. Oh, oh the car started. <laughs> all right. I'll see you in a little bit. Bye, buddy. If he sees me, he will just come over and <laughs> until I give him. <laughs> see you later, buddy. All Donkeys right. just have such sweet faces. I know it, but he's a pretty one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that ain't right. Yeah. Steve, take him by her house. Okay, that's what I'm Because you're right here. Yeah, I agree. Well, I'd, I'd totally forgotten about taking him to the house, so thank you for reminding me. I know there was one thing I couldn't figure out what I was doing. All right, y'all just stay in that lane. Stay, stay. <laughs> I'm coming past you. There you go. All right, this is Woodland Circle. This is where she lived. It's this house right here. Well, it doesn't look anything the same. No, it doesn't. Because used to, that was just a lean-to carport yes. cover, right. and they had put boards over it. That's right. Two bedrooms on this side and had a big, I mean big, it didn't have big anything. Oh, yeah, a little bitty. Li little living room. And open little kitchen, little kitchen. bitty kitchen, little. Yeah. Do the modest still live right here? Or in I, I think they live in that house right across the street. Shorty? Yeah. Mm. Is he the one who told you about the cat? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm That was another thing that came up in, um, Haley is our researcher, in her looking into all of this. And she found vet records for Sue's cat, but the vet records that she found were for a cat named Duchess. Really? So a, a female cat, and I know that the cat that everything was left to was named Mr. Foster. Mm -hmm. Well, I do know that Shorty knew who. Didn't Shorty call him the cat by name? When you said you were looking for the cat? Yes. Or, or did he, he just say, he just, oh, that oh, cat, cat died. died when they moved in. Or, but did he call it Mr. No, Foster? No, he didn't call it Mr. He Shorty. just said that cat died. Yeah, the cat hmm. died. So you may have a point there. Huh. Can you sort of walk me through her house? What you remember? What I remember is the opening of the door and the stench both with the smoking and with the smell of death. I mean, it just, it was, you know how if you're out in a field and you have an animal that's died, it's actually worse than that. It's a different scent and it sticks with you. I knew then that we couldn't go much further into it, but we, we just kind of walked around just real quick, just to take a real seal. And that's when we found a lot of different things that we had questions about. When we walked in the front living room, there was a kind of a what they call sectional. It? Sectional, thank you. Cloth. It was cloth. Cloth sectional. And, uh, so you and, can imagine how it smelled. Right. Very small room that you walk into. I mean, it was very small. Probably room. half the size of this room right here. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, the whole house was only probably 800, 900 square feet. So if it tells you anything. Mm -hmm. Walked in the kitchen, and we walked in the kitchen. It was just sad. I mean, there was a... There was a small table with two little chairs. Two chairs. There was a rack, but it didn't have anything on the rack except a couple of those teacups. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think she had any knives and forks, very, very, very few. Little. But now the cups and saucers look like they had just been freshly washed and they were turned over, like next to the sink. They weren't in a cabinet. 
And I said, oh, these, I turned them over. Oh, these are really pretty. And we noticed that one of them said England. It kind of had that shield, uh, Queen of England or something. And we were like, oh, wow, this pop she brought pop over with her. Uh, there were two or three of them, but she had very little in there, very little. Very it was little. very sad. I mean, it was sad. I mean, yes. looked in the refrigerator, nothing. Looked in the cabinet for food, very little ramen noodles and nothing in the freezer. Did you see any alcohol, do you remember? No alcohol. No, we didn't see any alcohol at all. Was there anything that was like an indicator of who she was as a person, like her personality? Was there, were there, there were no, or anything? There were no pictures on the wall, Nothing. very few books, lots of VCR tapes. She had nothing, nothing, uh, no, no personal items. There was a one picture that was like a, a landscape, but it wasn't even a nice, it wasn't a photo, but it was a, looks like something you might have bought at Goodwill or something. You know, it was just not a very nice picture. As far as I can remember, that is the only thing I remember on the walls. I don't even remember like jewelry or mm-hmm. nothing. It was just very generic, Yeah, the house, everything about it. When I walked into the next room, her bedroom, it was reeked, you know, with just the smell and and we really didn't look, but Jamie opened the closet door, and that's when we discovered that all her clothes were... They were inside out, and that was just real odd. And even in the drawers, the things in her, her drawers were inside out also, which was so strange. What kind of clothes did she wear? Um, very, um, not my style, not, I mean, just very, very plain. Not a lot of color in any No, way. that's right, no, no, no color. No color. And then we got out of there and went to the bathroom and... I don't remember the bathroom. Yeah, well, because we can't get but one person in there. But I opened up the uh, cabinet behind the toilet and prescription drugs, I mean, filled on the shelves, underneath the bathroom sink, everywhere on the top sink or the top cabinet. If there wasn't 20 different pill bottles on the top cabinet, then there wasn't one. You had to sort of ballpark guess the number of bottles. How many would you say? 200, 200, 300, probably. I'm, I literally put a bag, and it might have been for several years that she just didn't get rid of them, but they, I took a black plastic garbage bag, and I got in there, and I watered it up, and it was at least, you know, heavy enough to half of the bag was full on a 55-gallon drum black bag. It was a little interesting that the police... Didn't take that. Didn't take that. And then we walked outside the back door where she had put up a makeshift room where she just put plyboard up. It was a carport, and all it was, it had kind of asphalt, dirt, floor, and there's uh, like a storage room. And that's when we discovered a lot of different letters, names. Yeah, they were just like bills. and. The first one you look at might have Susan Knight, and then the letter right behind it would say Susan Jones Smith. And then the next one might say Susan Smith Knight. And and Susan I'm, Coggin and Susan. I mean, they had all different, <clears throat> I mean, I couldn't, I don't remember any of the names, They, but they were, you would see five envelopes and they were all addressed to the same address, but none of them were the same, Susan Knight. And it was just so strange. It was like, wait, how did she keep up with all these different names? And it, it was very, and 
I don't remember if any of them were open. I, I'm thinking that a whole bunch of the mail we saw was it not was even opened, opened right. but they were all different names, which was very strange. We walked out there and saw the teddy bears. Jamie made, saw those first, and they were just kind of strewn all over the place. I'm thinking they were all like, they were all the same color, like a dark color. I can't remember if it was blue, but we walked in there and you'd see one and its head would be off and the stuffing would be coming out. And, and then you'd see another one and maybe a leg or two would be off and the stuffing would be coming out. And I'm like, Steve, look at all of these teddy bears. I mean, and they were just all over the floor and... How many would you say Oh, I would say 20 maybe. And you kind of had to step around them because they were on the floor and some of the stuffing would be on the floor. And I thought, wow, this is odd way to do things. But we just, we just thought that she made them and maybe was making some extra money at the time, selling them to people that asked. Had you ever heard of her maybe selling them? No, I had not heard of her doing any. And we didn't sell any of them. We just gave them to a few people and then threw the rest of them away. Well, we didn't throw them away. We gave them to the estate group. Oh, that's true. That's true. But that's also where I found the, the box that had the baby clothes in it, in the storage room. Yeah. While I was back looking at the teddy bears, there was this box. And, you know, we were looking, just trying to find anything that that would help us find somebody that knew her or something. And they probably maybe 15 pieces in this box. And you could tell it was infant, very, you know, newborn infant. Most of them handmade or real thin linen and little booties and a little bonnet a crocheted bonnet that was white that had yellow. I remember it had yellow. So that's what made me think it was a girl. It had yellow uh, thread, I mean, a ribbon through it. And I said, Steve, I think she's had a baby. I mean, I think there was a baby somewhere because I kept all of my kids' baby clothes. But that, it was just, and I can't even remember if I thought that they had been worn or not, but they were really cute little things. And, and I said, I just think, Maybe she, there was a baby somewhere. And and none of them, they weren't dirty at all. Nothing was dirty in that box. Not any passies or anything like that. But that's the only thing that even made us think that there was a family or something somewhere. And then we walked out of that room into the computer room and were shocked to find a computer room. Which normally would have been a second bedroom. Right. But that was in the olden days, and they had walls. The excess wall area was floppy disk. I was in shock because we had just bought a brand new computer for our system, and I knew how much they cost. And I'm thinking, this is high-end computer stuff. What's, what does she do, you know? And I saw all the floppy disks. Well, at that time, a floppy disk was probably worth 20 cents each, and there was probably thousands of them in that room. And when we walked in, everything was off. I mean, there was nothing on. It just looked like they were just pretty cool computers. And had three computers, three screens. And I'm thinking, wow, this is unbelievable. And it was a lot smaller, which was shocking to me because I'd never seen anyone that small because we had a trash 80 and it was like, you know, big old thing. And it was very, I guess you'd say, caused a lot of curiosity on my part. So this first time, you just did a quick walkthrough. We just did a quick walkthrough. Well, I was ready to go. 
And I said, you got to get me out of here. And he probably would have stayed and looked around, but I had seen all I wanted to see. And I, the smell, I, I could hardly stand the smell. And so I was ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to go. Yeah. So we left, and then the next morning I called that my friend Larry Beeman. And Larry was probably one of the best Macintosh computer wizards in Texas at the time. And so we went over for lunch, and he pulled it up and got him up, and he said, oh, this is wow. This, he said, this is high-end stuff. I, I don't understand a lot of this. He wrote down several things on a pad, and he said, I'm going to go back to the house, and let's come back tomorrow and look at him. Well, that evening, Jamie and I went back over there to try to make another, because the smell has finally dissipated because of the ozone machine I got, and it was a lot better. I mean, I could breathe. And we went back, and we started looking through things. And about the time we got to the living room, after we'd been in the bedroom, we heard this, oh, my God. I thought, what is that? Jamie, I don't know. we got to get out of here. Right. I was scared to death. I'm just going to And, and it, it really was scary. And back in those days, we didn't have silent computers. I mean, they, when they come up, they're powering up, and it's a lot of power. Well, the lights dimmed. So I knew that it had to be those computers. So I walked back there. They're all going. And I'm sitting there going, what the heck? Because I didn't see them on before. And I thought, well, how did this happen? Nobody's in the room. I didn't turn them on. Did you turn them on, Jamie? No. What's going on? It got scary. So we left. Next day, Larry calls and said, hey, let's go over there again. I said, I think I found some information. I'd like to check on it. So I take him over there, and Larry walks in, and he sits at the computer, and he starts. And I could tell he was frustrated. He said, Steve, the hard drives are gone. I said, the hard drives are gone? And then I told him what had happened the night. He said, oh, they did this remotely. This is high-end stuff. This is high-sophisticated stuff. I said, what'd you say the lady did again? And he just couldn't believe me that she was just cashier. Well, that brought suspicion. And then that evening is when we got the call from the CIA. Coming up on Undercover of Night. That's something Sue never talked about. Well, I can look into it. Sue was very bubbly. She had a wicked sense of humor. She was very scary to a lot of people. She's a beautiful girl. And when I saw that photo, I was like, oh my goodness, yeah. Part of me questions that she actually committed suicide. No, absolutely not. That's crock. She just wasn't that type of personality. She had blondish silver hair. Sandy Brown. She is a dirty blonde. She was a brunette. I'm an expert at brunettes. I can't confirm any of these things. We have no idea if that's true. I am a former CIA officer and FBI special agent. I specialize on intelligence and counterterrorism. Cybersecurity and computer crime. With a specific focus on Northern Ireland and the Northern Ireland troubles. Felt like she was preparing me if she left not to be surprised if she just disappeared. Undercover of Night is an Apple original podcast produced by Spoke Media and Castleview Productions. Our writer, host, and showrunner is me, Jenna Burnett. Our associate producers are Lucy Huang and Reyes Mendoza. Our researcher is Haley Nelson, and our consulting journalist is Bob Sullivan. 
Sound design and original music by Will Short, with additional music from Universal Production Music. Story consulting by Brigham Mosley. Our executive producers are Caroline Hamilton, Sherita Linsolis, Ted Barnhill, Heather Mansfield-Jernigan, Aaliyah Tavakolian, and Keith Reynolds. If you have any information on Sue Knight, you can email us at infosuenight at gmail.com. If you or someone you know needs support, go to apple.com slash here to help for resources. Special thanks to Steve and Jamie Barksdale for sharing their story. Follow on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.